Welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast for fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to be better at life. Fitness is the greatest investment of anyone's life. However, it's not easily obtained, and anyone who says different is just plain wrong. Join award-winning personal trainer and strength conditioning coach Chris Fudge every Monday as he explores all aspects of fitness that can lead you to your optimal health. This podcast is brought to you by the Ready State Virtual Mobility Coach. Dr. Sturette is a movement and mobility coach for players in the NFL, MLB, NHL, and NBA, plus a doctor of physical therapy. Kelly has created a program called Virtual Mobility Coach. Every day, Virtual Mobility Coach gives you guided mobility videos. It walks you step-by-step through Kelly's proven techniques to relieve pain, improve range of motion, and improve performance. Try it completely free for two weeks, and if you decide to continue, you can get 10% off for life using the promo code PROJECT10. Hurry up, because the code expires October 1st. Welcome to another episode of the Project Fitness Podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Elise Zerkoff. Elise Zerkoff is a fitness and nutrition coach, and she's the creator of the Four Function Method, where she helps women transform their bodies when nothing else works. How often have we heard that when it comes to nutrition and training, when nothing else works? So we're going to sit down and we're going to talk a handful of stuff regarding nutrition, specifically macros, and how to apply it to the average person. Elise, thank you for coming on. Hey, Chris, thanks for having me. So let's just dive right into this. Let's start off in the bat. Everybody has a calling. Everybody has a career. A lot of times we, we stumble, we take different steps to get into that. How did you get into this business? What's your background, your story? Yeah, great question. So um, I've been in the fitness and health space for over 20 years now. Um, I actually started way back in the day as a dancer and then um, kind of fell into fitness because of my love for understanding the body and how the body moves. And so I studied that through uh, university. And then when I graduated, I fell right into the fitness industry. So like you, I kind of was like all fitness. Uh, And I've done everything from corporate fitness. I've taught every class you could possibly imagine and um, done tons and tons of personal training. Back in um, 2015, um, so I'm a mom of three. And in 2015, my youngest, who was two years old at the time, he's now eight, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And so I had all this knowledge about health and nutrition and fitness, but I kind of knew nothing about type 1. And it is very different than type 2, as I'm sure you know. And I had to just submerge myself in everything to do with blood sugars and how the body responds um, to different foods and to activities and stress. And so I, I am like a student at heart. I would say I love to learn. And so I just learned everything and anything about how every single body responds. And I saw how my little one was responding to food. And I was like, well, why, why are any of us eating the way we do if this is what's happening inside the body? And so I quickly became, I want to say obsessed, but like in a good way mm-hmm. with, um, you know, understanding how cortisol affects the body and the response to insulin in the body. And I started kind of going outside the bubble a little bit where I was like, well, if I, you know, if I help my clients understand this better, what they see better results and they were. And, um, I guess that kind of just organically grew over the years in that being a, being a mom to like really high needs kids, I, I have a very, very high stress life. Okay. Mm -hmm. So like my life with type one as a mom is 20, like 24 seven management. Um, there's days that I don't sleep. There's days that, 
you know, I've got to drop what I'm doing and attend. And so I was living this super high stress life and it was starting to break me down. And Mm. like, I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, when you get busy, you just like completely neglect yourself. And I just kind of fell into this niche of helping other women who were living these very high stress lives kind of take a step back and learn how to recalibrate their stress levels um, and then their nutrition. And it wasn't until COVID hit, which I'm sure you're hearing all the time now, because it's what I'm hearing with my clients, right? It's like everyone has a pre-COVID and then a post-COVID life. But when COVID hit, I think I was teaching at the time seven to nine classes, training clients. Uh, I was just always out of the move and you know, I had to pivot online. And so I then was like, how am I going to, how am I going to rebrand and rebuild myself online? And I just started sharing organically what I was doing. And I started to get a following of people and moms reaching out to me, not all moms, mostly moms being like, how are you doing what you're doing? And I'm like, well, this is super easy. If you understand biochemistry, which most people don't. (laughs) So, um, I dove deep into macros because I love, uh, understanding how macros, you know, can manipulate the body. And then I ended up specializing in um, the female metabolism as well to correspond with fat loss and transforming bodies forever. So that's a very interesting story about how you got into it and then really niching down on one specific target, one specific market. Now for for the viewers that are listening here, while we rewind a little bit here, why don't you explain to them the difference between type one and type two diabetes? Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for asking that for sure. I know I gave you like a mouthful on my first time. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I think most of us understand type two diabetes as like having too much sugar in the body, the body becomes resistant to insulin. And then you either take a pill or you take insulin injections, you become, you know, um, pre-diabetic. And then a lot of people say, well, you can reverse diabetes, which, you know, can be the case. Now, the biggest difference I tell people with the type one and type two isn't necessarily like what is happening now in the body physiologically, it's the why, okay? It's the why this is happening. And so in type one, the biggest difference is it's an autoimmune disease. And so for some reason, the body, like in any other autoimmune situation, the body then um, is attacked by some virus, we don't know. And the body kind of, like I say, gets confused and starts attacking itself. Mm -hmm. And in type one diabetes, it attacks the pancreas cells. So it it attacks those beta cells in the pancreas and the pancreas can no longer produce insulin. So in his body and in type one, there is no production of insulin, no matter what you do. And so you are relying on injection or insulin therapy. He wears a pump, uh, and then the management of, of, um, of blood sugars. Now, you know, people get confused and they say, well, you know, he was two, did he have too much sugar? Did you have too much sugar? And I'm like, no, by the time I had my third kid, I had pregnancy down pat. Like I knew exactly (laughs) what to eat and what not to eat, right? If anything, he would have been like my healthiest quote unquote baby. So it is completely, um, independent of what they're eating and, um, or what they did. It is nothing that, you know, I did or he did. It is just uh, the autoimmune that took over. And so mm-hmm. when I, and I have quite a bit of clients coming to me uh, with prediabetes and I'm like, trust me when I say you don't want this. So mm-hmm. that's so the what, biggest what, difference. Why don't you elaborate a little bit? Like what happens to someone who has type one diabetes and then they have a scare? Like what's the, some people don't understand what's the worst case scenario. What is a common <sighs> thing that, that tends to happen? I, I know it's your son. Yeah. So maybe just disassociate your, your young fella and just say about what could happen or maybe what has happened. Yeah, totally. That's actually an excellent question as well. Cause you know, I remember the day of his diagnosis 
you know, my husband was like, okay, so we just, we just give him insulin and then he's fine. And the doctors were like, yeah, but like, it's kind of more confusing than that. So let me take you through what someone with type one has to do. And then I'll tell you exactly about what could happen. So you and I have a functioning pancreas. If I want to go and eat a donut or a chicken breast or any type of food, um, we don't have to think twice about how our body is going to metabolize that. It's just going to happen because of our functioning pancreas. We're lucky and that's how it works. In someone with type 1, they have no insulin response whatsoever. And so if they don't inject insulin, then their blood sugars will just rise, continue to rise. They'll go into um, a diabetic coma, which we call diabetic ketoacidosis, and will lead to death. Uh, luckily, we have insulin. And so what someone with type 1 does is they will, quote unquote, cover their carbohydrate or their food intake with a certain amount of insulin based on um, the ratios that are set with their practitioner. And um, they'll try to cover that insulin and mimic a pancreas. I do say I'm a human pancreas, my husband and I together. Mm -hmm. So now that sounds in theory pretty easy because you're like, cool. So if this, you know, you know, a bowl of pasta has, let's say 50 grams of carbs, I'm going to give maybe two units of insulin off. I go, cool. But the way it works is that our, our, our pancreas, like nothing can mimic the incredible um, function of that pancreas. And so when we inject insulin, there's different types of insulin, some act faster than others. And so you got to just like, you know, thank your, your diabetes stars. If you hit that insulin at the same time that that blood sugar starts to rise. So if you have a food that is rising very quickly and you know, that insulin is too slow, you're going to miss it. Likewise, if you inject too soon, and then, you know, then the, the blood sugars kind of hit later, like with pizza, for example, then you're going to have a delayed blood sugar spike. So what, what someone with type one needs to do is constantly monitor their blood sugars, which we have incredible technology that allows us to do that pretty is much he, nonstop. Does he use a glucose monitor, like the patch? He does. Yeah. He has the uh, Dexcom, which is a uh, continuous glucose monitor. I, I actually I almost, get on his phone. I almost got one myself. Just to oh, see, yeah, you should. It's really cool. Actually. How my body responds to certain foods. You know what? I actually, I, if, I recommend you try it because like you can see it's, it's actually fascinating to watch how, how food re reacts in the body. And, you know, people always say to me, well, how do you know that that's going to happen? I'm like, oh, cause I, I mean, I've been living with this for six years. I see exactly what foods when, when someone says, okay, we're going to have pizza. I'm like, oh shit. Okay. So that's like a five hour spike of delay. Mm -hmm. That's like two in the morning. All right. I'm going to be up all night now. Like I know exactly what's going to happen. So it's actually fascinating to watch how the blood sugars um, spike and everyone with type one, by the way, responds a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. So like I say, I am an expert in his diabetes, but I'm certainly not an expert in everyone's diabetes, but let's just say, you know, you over inject, for example, my son's at camp today, there's incredible nursing support that he has there, but like they made an oops and they, they gave him too much insulin, right? With lunch, which can happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it's like, well, what do we do? Well, luckily we have our glucose monitor. So we're monitoring him. His blood sugars are actually beautiful today, but um, you know, what do you do? You have to give more sugar. So someone with type one really should never be leaving their house without some form of treatment on them. Even my son, who's eight, he has treatment on him. He wears his, uh, he wears a belt that has his phone in it and his phone connects to his CGM. It's pretty cool. And um, that's how we can monitor him throughout the day. And then he has treatment in there. So, you know, I would say time sensitive wise, the worst thing that can happen is he has a low blood sugar. Now, thank goodness for that Dexcom CGM because we can correct that blood sugars because we can see trends mm -hmm. that, uh, that monitor will show us if his blood sugars are going down, it will give us an arrow down if it's going up. So, you know, if, if let's say a type one is in the middle of a meeting 
or a podcast, for example, and they have a low blood sugar and they just, they don't want to eat because maybe they're embarrassed to like pull out, like, you know, something, um, it's very time sensitive. They can go into a coma. So we definitely want to avoid that. The other end is um, going high, which a lot of practitioners like to keep uh, kids higher, their blood sugar is a little bit higher. And I get it because it's safer. However, uh, the long term effects of having high blood sugars are not good. So we have to kind of always live in real time in our world, we call it like bumping and nudging, bumping and nudging, Mm -hmm. we're giving a little insulin, we're giving a little sugar, we're giving a little insulin, we're giving a little sugar. When, when people are new to this world, and I do mentor a lot of um, newly diagnosed families through the JDRF, uh, I, you know, it is so overwhelming with information and it is like a whole new life and stress that you're constantly fearing this like, well, what if this happens or what if that happens? So, mm. you know, it's certainly not something to take lightly. However, uh, you know, I mean, my kid is eight and he's a healthy little guy. He's super duper active, which makes it harder as well. Um, activity will like kind of mimic insulin in that it will bring blood sugars down. Mm-hmm. So when you have someone who's giving insulin and then going to play hockey, for example, then um, <laughs> we can have a big drop in, uh, in blood sugars. So we are basically the best. And I always recommend as people of type one is you have to know your blood sugars. And that's where the, the monitor comes into play. And you know what we who don't have diabetes, we should know our blood sugars too. Like we're just lucky enough that our blood sugars will kind of range from that 3.3 to 5.5. But, but like knowledge is power. And, and it's the same with macros. That's why I love macros. Cause like knowledge is power. I always say we can't manage what we can't see. So let's take a look. <laughs> so when he goes to camp, when he goes to hockey and stuff like that, you said he's got his belt, he's got his glucose monitor, he's got his phone. It's all tracked there. Does he also have sugar with him? Yeah. Yeah. He has, uh, yeah, he does. He has gummies in his pouch physically on him. So if he's at recess, let's say at school or he's on the bus on the way home, he could easily access it. Our rule is when he feels low, he takes two gummies and then tells a teacher or like Mm -hmm. a a counselor or something. Um, And then my husband and I also are kind of always watching him between the two of us. One of us catches it. So uh, we're in constant communication with his, um, teachers his counselors mm-hmm. and my husband coaches his hockey so he could stay <laughs> well connected to him as well too yeah, yeah i used to uh, i went to my train to type one and um in, in training sessions we'd always have you know we'd have the oj at the front of the room or she'd have packets of sugar with her while, while we'd go through and it was it was predictable yet unpredictable where oh, sleep, that is, sleep would yeah. affect it right if sleep was, was thrown off you know, yeah. she'd come in the morning and she's like, oh, I'm super low. And we, what's the food? Nothing different. But then she'd wake up in the morning and it was the sleep. She never got into deep sleep. And then we had to play all these different things. It was just really interesting. Now for, you know, cause you're a mom, I'm going to go down that, that hole a little bit more. Cause I find that very interesting. I've got kids myself yeah. and there's a lot of parents that listen to this podcast here. So for, for your young guy, I'm sure it's not easy, you know, for him in his social setting to be, you know, someone who's different. You know, yeah. not, not like everyone else. Is there anything that, you know, that he does, that he does, or you've done with him has made him feel a little more comfortable. I just picture, I, th- I think of me, I'm like, okay, little Chris, I would have had an excuse to have that candy necklace, right? <laughs> that I would have walked around and be, I would have been like, man, like everybody wants to be me because I got this candy necklace. And every now and then if my numbers are low, I just take a little bite. But w- w- was it hard for Honestly, him? Honestly, that's anything a great for idea. Why haven't I thought of that before, actually? That is actually the most genius thing. I'm going to take a note of that and do that. So, um, no, my guy, uh, his name is Owen. He was diagnosed when he was two. 
All right. He was in diapers. Mm -hmm. So he does not remember. This is the silver lining of having a child so young at diagnosis. He doesn't remember life before type one. So he doesn't actually really know any different. Like he's, he started wearing a pump when he was four, as well as the, the monitor, the Dexcom at four. So he's been living with it for four years where he's has devices physically on him, which I'll tell you as a mom was a really hard step for me to put those devices on him because he's now physically different in that if you look at him, he's got like a pump on his arm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, it could get, he, he wrestles with his brother and it falls right off and it gets uh, annoying. But one thing um, I got really great advice when he was first diagnosed and another dad had told me, you know, with his son is, is he always manages his diabetes around his son and not the other way around. So we, we've always found a way to kind of make, make life around him work. And so when he's in a new setting, for example, in a new classroom, in a new school, I've always gone in, I'm actually meeting with his teachers next week, but I've gone in and I've talked not only to the teachers, but to the students as well, because it is really distracting at times to hear these alarms on his phone go off. And mm -hmm. the kids are like, what is that beeping? And he beeps all the time. Mm -hmm. um, if he's low or he's high, it sends off these alarms. I've also uh, talked to the kids about what that sounds like. Here's what this noise sounds like. You might see him leave the room. You might see him eat when it's not snack time. He might need to use the bathroom when it's not a bathroom break time. Uh, and then really education. And I, you know, I try to get his friends involved in it as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, if, low and, if Owen is low, you have to help him, right? Make sure he takes something. And, and the more people who know, the more that's better. We really just, just like you would with any child who suffers from any reason why they feel different. Maybe they're very small. Like my middle one's very small. Um, I'm very small, but maybe, you know, maybe, um, you know, they've got different color hair or maybe they've got a birthmark or whatever it is. I think the best thing we can do as parents is really normal, normalize it. And there has been times where Owen has said to me, like, I don't want this anymore. Even when he was three years old, he'd be crying. And he's like, I don't want diabetes anymore. And, you know, it's easy to have a pity party, but we just never do that. It is like, sorry, dude, this is what it is. This is what, you know, this is what our life is like. And it's an awesome life and we will make it work and we'll make it work together. He knows like he's never alone in this. And, you know, we just, we really take every every challenge as it comes. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you built um, a very strong community, a community around him through his school, through his friends and that support. And it's nice to hear that. I remember being a young guy and we, we had a student in our class who would just randomly eat. No one, no one knew why. No one right. knew why. I talked okay. to him, like, I, you know, I chatted with him maybe a decade later, we're both in university. And he's like, yeah, I'm diabetic. I'm like, oh, okay. Like I didn't know it was grade four. No one talked about it, right? It was just, right. they got to eat when I didn't get to eat. So right. I, I love the fact that you've worked with um, with the community, with the school and stuff. And, and I think that's obviously better for anyone who's in a similar situation to do that. Now, I want to I backtrack this. We talked about type 1. Yeah. Is type 1 only diagnosed for children? Or can adults get that at any time? Because I know type 2 is a little, little lifestyle Yeah, type driven, 2. Right? Yeah, we call it like... Um like type two being like adult used to be called adult onset. And then type one was like, um, juvenile diabetes, a child onset. And then, and now it's type one. And actually now there's this whole campaign to get type one actually completely removed from the diabetes, like connection with type two. Um, you can get type one technically at any age mm -hmm. you, it gets confusing after the age of 40, when you have someone diagnosed with type with diabetes and they just assume it's type two, unless you're doing antibodies to test it. 
they won't know that it's type one, but it is more common in younger children. And it is usually seen at that like 12 to 15 age Mm -hmm. um, group as like, I'd say the most common in diagnosis, certainly getting, um, having a diagnosis at age two is a lot less common, just like having a diagnosis in forties or late thirties. But I do know someone who was 60, who was diagnosed with type one. So it can happen technically at any age. So type type one is irreversible. Correct. But type two can be reversible. Correct. Now I will say like, this is not to undermine type twos out there. I know there's lots of of people out there with type two that are suffering and saying, well, I've had this forever, but it is uh, a combination of genetics. So there are a lot of, you know, family history of type twos. um, And those who do have a strong family history have to work even harder to reduce their risks. Just like if someone had risks of heart disease in the family, you have to work harder against your own genetics, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, if someone is predisposed to type two, they're going to really want to watch their carbohydrate intake. They're going to want to make sure they're complementing with enough protein and fats. They're going to want to make sure that they're getting enough activity. Someone with type one, it is insulin therapy until we hopefully find a cure. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of a uh, type three diabetes also known There's as a- uh, like dementia? As a dementia, I mean, there's, I think dementia. there's actually six types. Yeah, no, I so, haven't heard that. Yeah, so there was a, there's, um, there's a physician and he studies dementia and Alzheimer's. And what he found was the majority of patients he found with cognitive decline in their 70s and 80s, they all had a lot of similarities to diabetes. So, you know, they were having blood sugar spikes up and down, insulin made them feel better. He's like, this is a, a much minor version, but it's, he called it type three diabetes hmm. found, found in senior citizens. Just an interesting, you know, off topic thing. Yeah. There's, there's quite, a, there's actually quite a bit of types. We know gestational diabetes exists. I've had quite a bit of clients in the past that have had um, gestational and there are other, uh, there's a little bit of like, you know, kind of like variants <laughs> of the <laughs> diabetes family. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not mm-hmm. as familiar with those, unfortunately. Now, when you started working, obviously, with your son, you must have then started helping other people because now you do macro counting for for a business. So did you do macro counting for your son? Like, how did you get into that side of it? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. People would always say he made a diagnosis. Well, you know, at least you know nutrition, right? And I was like, oh, so I deserve to have a child with type one because I know nutrition. Like, I don't understand that. Uh, you know, like, you I know how to work out. You should be obese. <laughs> wait right. Minute. Like, wait you a can minute. fix this, right? I used to hate when people said stuff like that to me, but I understand where they were coming from, of course. But, um, you know, I always, when I, when I deal with my son and his food, I always think about what would I do if I was type one? What would I want to wear? What would I want to eat? How would I want to do it? And I always said, okay, if it was up to me, I would be on a low carb diet because I wouldn't want to have a lot of um, insulin spiking because I don't want to have a lot of insulin flowing through my body through injection because then I'm increasing the likelihood of having highs and lows by miscounting it. Now, mm-hmm. that is true with all of us, right? We want to always minimize insulin spikes in anyone. And so I, and actually it was funny enough before, um, before he was diagnosed, I, I tended to be a little bit lower carb. I don't have um, gluten. I'm very gluten sensitive. So I just always kind of had a lower carb meal. And one thing I had to do when he was diagnosed was give him carbs because of the insulin regime that he was on. I was like, God, like, I don't even know. I'm giving my kid more carbs than I've ever given myself. Like, I don't even know what this is. And that's when we started to do a little bit more research and be like, well, wait a minute, I'm not going to give him like, you know, cookies and juice and all this stuff just because, you know, I gave him insulin. There's got to be a better way. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, my husband and I both looked into this like lower carb kind of living. And I think if it were me, I would have been 
you know, low carb from the get go. But of course I want them to feel like a normal kid too. Just like I want all my kids to feel normal. They will tell you at times, like they're the weird kid that, you know, doesn't eat this or that, but my rules when they're out, they eat whatever they want, but you know, he wants to eat pizza. He wants to have cake. He wants to have all the stuff and that's cool. When we're out, we do that. But I would say that for the most part, I tend to keep him. Um, I guess I've kind of trained him to eat more protein quality fats with his food to offset that. So for example, cereal, right? Like mm-hmm. what kid doesn't want cereal? Well, I watch cereal, what it does and his blood sugars are just like, holy smokes. I cannot. I can't get that spike down. He is high for four or five hours if I don't give him something with the cereal. So we started giving him a, you know, um, smoothies in the morning. My, my husband makes for him and my boys and I make for myself because I don't do dairy mm-hmm. either. Uh, so my kids have a smoothie. They have protein in it. They have yogurt in it. They have peanut butter. I mean, it is a loaded breakfast. You've got protein, you've got fat in it, you've got fiber. And so now mm-hmm. he has a cereal and we've managed to curb that blood sugar pretty easily. Uh, so I would say with, that's kind of how we look at food is when, and I tell this to my clients too, because they're always like, what foods are low on the GI? And I'm like, dude, it doesn't matter because you're in a day, you can complement it and make everything low GI if you want. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so if what you're, you're saying pizza, is, sorry, what you're saying is a combination yeah. of foods. If you want this, you can have this and this, and then you'll have a lower insulin spike and you'll have more balanced blood sugars, correct? Yeah, exactly. Right. And so like, so when I started doing this, with so, so get, so get your like, donuts with walnuts in them. Is that Yeah, what exactly. Like have your donuts <laughs> with the chicken breast. Here's the moral of the story. And you know, put the chicken <laughs> breast in the middle of the donut. The donut. Yeah. And you know, I say that to my kids, they come home and they'll be like, can we have a snack? And I'm hungry. And I'm like, do you want a snack or do you want a treat? Cause a snack is not necessarily a bag of chips. So my kids mm-hmm. will like roll their eyes at me and be like, I'll have some protein with it, mom. Right. So like they know kind of, and I've, I guess I've just kind of done this over the years where I'm like, you're going to have that, just have something of protein with it or have something of fat with it so that you don't have an insulin spike and like, you know, and, or sorry, blood sugar spike surge of insulin. Then you're going to feel tired and cranky 45 minutes later. I can count the minutes when my clients are hungry based on what they're eating. So mm. yeah. I mean, like food is pretty powerful. We know this, right? Yeah. So you, you don't, do you count macronutrients for your son? Like you are the I macro don't. coach. Yeah, no, I don't, not for him. But you do for I mean, people. I do for people. Yeah, I mean, I do to get people um, started and getting them incredible results, mm-hmm. but no one ever leaves me tracking macros. So, you know, I, I do like to put my clients into an intuitive type of tracking, quote unquote. I can, just like I can carb count anything pretty well, like a boss, I can pretty much guess that protein content as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, no, for him, he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, necessarily count. I, I would also say he tends to gravitate towards a richer diet than a volume diet. And so people who tend to gravitate towards richer by that, I mean, they go for like the fats more. So like the cheeses on top of things and like the flavor versus the volume, mm-hmm. which I do, by the way, I'm a volume person. We like to see a big meal, right? Mm-hmm. You, you put a plate of cereal on, you know, a bowl of cereal or something. You're like, it's gotta be flowing. Like I have to see it right in order to feel satisfaction. So mm-hmm. for him, he's kind of gravitated towards that richness. So it kind of works in our favor, but you know, he does know he's like, can I have this? I'll have it with this. And I'm like, you can have whatever you want but let's be responsible and let's all be responsible. Oh, I love that. Let's be responsible when we eat. Oh, I I, say that all the time. People say, you know, can he eat anything? And I said, he needs to be more responsible about food than your average kid who just shoves pizza and Coke down there for sure. You can, you can, you can say 
you know, my eight-year-old's more responsible than you to like a client of your similar age. Oh, I will tell you, my eight-year-old is way more responsible than most of us when it comes to food. That's sure. awesome. Yeah. And I, I think parents need to be a little bit more responsible with how they feed their children anyway. You had mentioned You had mentioned that the cereal is a massive yep. sugar spike, right? Yep. Um, oh, yeah. In, in your experience, what are some foods besides like cereal is a big one? What are other ones that people may not be aware of? Be like, this is a huge spike. And then what could they do if they're going to have that? a combination to minimize the damage or be more responsible with it? Yeah, great question. Um, first and foremost, those gummies that we give our kids that we think these are like vitamins or like omega-3s or something, I'll tell you, we used to give our kids those back in the day and we could not figure out the carb count to it. And it, he would, his blood sugars were always spiking thighs. It has a, hell are we giving this for? It is clearly mm-hmm. just sugar. Like let's mm-hmm. omit this. So some things we just completely omit. So yeah, cereal is a big one. Um, I will say that the really hard ones are pizza, hot dogs, burgers. So those really high fat ones, because they actually slow, they're a slow um, digesting food. And so we see a delayed blood sugar like four hours later, which can be very challenging. So um, it's, it still does cause a large spike of blood sugar. It just delays yeah, it, it. That's what you're saying. Delayed, yeah. When yeah, something yeah, yeah. simple like gummies or cereal is quick. For it blood. Is quick, yeah. Okay. And I, and I, you know, there's room for both, you know, when, when you go and run a marathon at the end of the, at the end of you get to the, you know, the, the finished tent, they're not giving out like chicken breasts. Right. And like, you know, here's a, a you know, protein shake. No, no, no. They're giving you a bagel and a banana. You need these like simple sugars to replenish those glycogen stores and get your blood sugar up. And just likewise with type one or a diabetic, really, if they're having <laughs> a low blood sugar, they need, you know, energy now. So cereal is mm-hmm. obviously great mm-hmm. for that, but um, then, you know, other than that, we want to definitely slow down blood sugars for everybody. But, um, so cereal is a big one. I'm trying to think of the other big, um, what about fruits? Oh, fruits. Oh, I'm so glad you asked that, Chris. People, I get a lot of black from this. Cause fruits are good for you all the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hope you don't hate me for saying this. I hope your listeners don't hate me. I'm not a big fruit fan, actually. Cause I say, I really do say I have, I think I posted this on Instagram. I got some haters on this, but like sugar is sugar, right? So yes, we've got micronutrients in those fruits and we need fruits. Like I got, I got some fruits behind me here on my picture here, but, um, you know, people are like, oh, well it's watermelon and it's grapes and it's, you know, it's fruit, it's natural. So I'm eating it. And they're wondering why, you know, they're exhausted and they're gaining fat. And I'm like, well, dude, your blood sugar is spiking. So watermelon, um, Grapes are, lit- are literally like candy. They are one gram of carbs per grape. So they're pretty high in sugar. So I, I will have my son. I, I don't, I don't really have a lot of fruit for that reason. If my son wants to have fruit, I, it is like having candy. Now candy and fruit in terms of a blood sugar response aren't bad. They're pretty predictable, a high spike right away. That's a, you know, so I know I'm going to curb it down. Right. Um, but it, but it definitely has a lot of sugar. And I have a lot of clients that come to me and they are very low calorie and they think they're, I hear this all the time. I'm eating so healthy. I'm doing everything right. And I'm gaining fat and I don't understand it. And I'm like, you, you're probably doing everything right. Or right at one point. And I look, it's a ton of fruit. Mm -hmm. It is like, you know, orange and a piece of toast for breakfast and then a fruit salad. It's like all this fruit. And I'm like, and they're like, well, fruit is good. I'm like, well, fruit's like candy. So fruit is good and it's tasty and it's definitely got nutrients in it. So we don't, we definitely don't want to like omit it, but you know, it does have a high blood sugar response to it for most of them. Would you see people who gain weight because of a caloric surplus or because the, the bulk of their calories are fruit or carbohydrate based leading to a higher blood sugar. And if so, does that lead to 
fat gain? Yeah. So, oh my gosh, this is such a, this is such a loaded question. So if someone is eating in a surplus, they're going to gain weight. Yes, definitely. They're going to gain fat. However, 95% of my clients are on the opposite. They are under eating, gaining fat. Mm. So you can actually store fat on both ends of the spectrum of like a deficit or a surplus. And that comes down to the physiology of the body. And I, I remember when my son was diagnosed, he was, and he was two, remember, he was starving. I remember going down to the hospital at six in the morning and I had, he was going to daycare that day. So I pre-packed an entire day of food for him. He had eaten everything by 10 AM. It was just mm-hmm. starving. So you have mm-hmm. a two-year-old having like 1100 calories, almost 2000 calories, which is insane for like a baby. Yeah. And he was skinny. Right. And I thought like, if you ever, if you ever thought that a calorie in equals a calorie out, like you, you are mistaken. There's so much more to the body than just what the calories say. So whether you're in a deficit or surplus, it really depends upon the state of the metabolism, and the physiology of the body in how your body is going to store or release fat, to be honest. And so if you can just remember that when, when someone is, you know, pre-diabetic and they're not diagnosed yet, one of the symptoms is that they're just losing a ton of weight. And I've had students who had this too. I work at a college once a week as well. And I've had students tell me that, you know, they thought they were just losing weight until they got really, really, really skinny and was eating nonstop, right? It's like Mm -hmm. this insatiable hunger. So uh, it's a little bit of a dark hole to go down, but. Yeah, we had, um, we had a physician on here before he wrote a book called the calories of fallacy. And he talks about how not all calories are equal. And he says a calorie, essentially we've given food calories we've diagnosed food calories nature didn't nature never yeah, said totally. oh we're worth this and a calorie what the hell's a calorie I yeah know. and essentially you know um from his his research he says a calorie is a measurement of how fast something burns yep <laughs> that, that's yeah, it is it's a kilo and that and 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 you know it's so funny it's it's amazing that you actually you say this and you're educating your listeners on this because most people don't understand this that like we say a calorie of like four calorie, four grams of, of, or one gram of protein and one gram of carb is the same four calories. It's like, yeah, but like protein burns different in the body than carbohydrates. So mm. it's like, yes, but no. And it, and it can be so freaking confusing that like people are just like fed up and don't understand it. And I get it right. It is confusing. And then you have diet industry that is telling you eat this and don't eat that. And it's like, where do you even start? Mm-hmm. But I, I totally agree. Like we, we, we labeled this calories and we gave it value. But when you work with people, you you work with macronutrients. Can you quickly go over what is a what is a macro and how do you use that? What are macros (laughs) and how do you use that when you help somebody lose weight or change their body composition? Yeah, great question. And you know what? Like I say, people say to me, I don't really want to eat macros. And I'm like, dude, you eat them every day. So macros are short (laughs) for macronutrients. They are your carbs, fats, and proteins. They're found in all your foods. And these guys are your, uh, I say, your biggest dial movers when it comes to figuring out how to fuel your body for success. And this is why I love working one-on-one with my clients and coaching mm-hmm. them because we are all so physiologically unique. And I love understanding how people um, thrive. And, you know, one person's pleasure is another person's poison. So we look at carbohydrates, fats, and proteins, and how um, they're prioritized in the body and how those calories are made up, which is so different than just, let's say, your Weight Watchers calorie counting. Because when you're calorie counting, and I'm like, cool, I want you eating like 1800 calories a day, 
And as like a side note, most women are tend to be under eating, but let's just say 1800 calories a day. You know, if you're calorie counting, you're, you're eating, however, you could be eating fruit all day. You could be eating donuts all day. You could be eating salads all day. It doesn't matter. But when we talk about macros, we're really working on maximizing fat loss strategically by um, breaking down those nutrients and having the right amounts for our bodies, as well as minimizing the amount of fat loss that we're hitting if we're in a deficit. Because that can happen as well. If you're hitting a deficit and you're not really prioritizing certain macronutrients, you are likely going to be um, burning muscle, which is like, okay, we all will burn some muscle, but like, if you're like me and you spend out, you know, you are working hard on like building muscle. Like I don't want to lose. I want to minimize that. I want to minimize the amount of muscle that I'm burning. Right. True. Yeah. So that is like the, the, the beauty of macro counting is that it allows us to be very strategic. That's how I, I like to put it. And you have, um, you have a, a course, coming up and uh, you have a, what's a guide, a how to macro guide or something? Yes, I do. Yes, yep. exactly. So I created this um, totally free guide because I had tons of people reaching out to me on Instagram and clients as well, who were like kind of tiptoeing in the tiptoeing out, tiptoeing in. And I'm like, I am just going to create this guide and I am going to tell you everything about it. So I created this, I call it my free how to macro guide. It is three steps to, um, to understanding macros. So the first step is just what the heck are macros? Like, what are they? And I go through exactly carbs, fats, and proteins, why you need them and what they do and, and how you find them. And then I talk about how do you set your macros? Cause people always want to ask me like, well, how many, you know, how much protein should I be? Eating? And I'm like, do that. And I just met you. Right. <laughs> um, and then the last part, the last step, the third step is how do you track your macros? So, you know, like now I know what I'm eating. Well, you know, now what do I do? So I created this guide. It can be um, somewhat confusing if you're just like, you know, Oh, I, I don't even you know, know anything about this for most of my followers and my clients. Uh, have been understanding that, you know, if I want to lose fat now, I have to be a little bit more strategic. And so I do talk about the metabolism because in order to have a, uh, to really see true fat loss, we need to, obviously we know we need a caloric deficit. And I say, everyone is so good about having that bloody deficit. We're so good at it, but not many of us understand that in order to lose weight in that deficit, we have to have a very flexible metabolism. So I talk mm -hmm. a little bit about um, metabolic metabolism as well. And then based off that guide, I have created a um, academy, which I've called FMA or Functional Macros Academy, which is an eight week group coaching program where I teach you exactly how to uh, set your macros, track your macros and start your fat loss journey. And that is opening up on uh, tomorrow, Friday on August 26th. Fantastic. Fantastic. So I'm going to have this, this episode is going to be coming out choice. So if you're listening to this now, it is, you know, a couple days later. Um, yeah. Uh, Elise is going to extend that time period if yes. somebody wants to register for this. So we'll put all the information in the show notes here. And my takeaways from today's chat, and I know your time is precious, so we're just going to wrap up here. But my takeaways from, from this chat so far is that, well, the close thing we just talked about, calories, not a calorie. The yeah. human body will metabolize things at different rates. Yeah. Not all carbohydrates are all the same. We have to nourish our body with specific foods and be responsible when we chew. <laughs> yeah. Be responsible yeah. with your mouth. You know, I mean, listen, knowledge, you know, knowledge is power. So once you have the knowledge, you have to use it to your advantage. And what works for like your friend down the street likely will not work for you. 
hundred percent. I totally agree. Just lastly, as we end here, if someone's listening right now and they're struggling with their, with their health and their nutrition, and they're, you know, they're probably going to go do your macro guide or maybe even your coaching program. If you were to give, you know, the average person, you know, one tip of advice of, of how to get healthier when it comes to nutrition, what's one thing you might give them? What's your go-to? Yeah. I usually say just be consistent. I say actually be consistent as fuck <laughs> because uh, women, especially we like to like compare notes and shop around. So we're like, you're doing keto. Maybe I should do keto. Should I do keto? I'm going to do keto. Oh, you do intermittent fasting. Oh, you're not doing intermittent fasting. And I'm like, dude, you got to pick one thing and stick with it. Right. It's like, you're a parent, you know, this, when you are like, you know, doing something with your child, you're disciplining them. You're working on something. You can't be hopping around. You got to be consistent. And it's the same thing in the gym, right? So I, my, my one tip is to really find one thing that works for you and stick with it. If it's too fast, it doesn't last. So just be consistent and see it through. Trust the process. I love that. If it's too fast, it doesn't last. Nice tagline. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Elise, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the Project Fitness Podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your expertise. Thanks, Again, Chris. we're going to have all the information on the, on the free macro guide, the eight-week program. Yeah. And that's it for today. Again, thank you so much for coming on. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. Bye. Never stop learning because life never stops teaching. If you've learned at least one thing from this podcast and your mission is to help other people, please share this podcast with them. And a reminder, we will be releasing one episode every Monday for the entire year. So make sure to hit subscribe so you get the updated information as soon as possible. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it.